around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment, including integrated applications and services built on an open platform our solutions enable digital workflows across engineering disciplines and distributed project teams from the office to the field. And today, leverage digital twin technology to help solve the most complex of engineering challenges. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and I'm Editor on New Civil Engineer and your host for today's episode, where we'll be exploring the role of digital twins in improving outcomes on infrastructure projects. We'll also be looking at the benefits the data that those digital twins can derive to further improve the outcomes and drive better investment decisions too. Joining me in a moment will be former Executive Director of the Centre for Digital Built Britain, Alexandra Bolton, who'll be sharing the findings of some work with the finance industry to look at the broader role of digital twins. That work has resulted in a report called How Finance and Digital Twins Shape a Better Future for the Planet, which Alexandra will be sharing more detail on with us in a moment. Then a bit later in this episode, we'll be travelling to Australia to look at the Cross River Rail project in Brisbane and speaking to the project CEO, Graham Newton, and Digital Delivery Manager, Andrew Kerthoys, to learn about how the team is putting digital twins to work more than just the design, delivery and operation of the new route. Alexandra is an engineer with a particular interest in how we use digital technologies to tackle the big challenges of our time. As the Executive Director of the Centre for Digital Built Britain, she worked on both the UK's National Digital Twin Programme, UK BIM Programme, working to transform the built environment through the adoption and use of digital technologies. She has previously held roles with the University of Cambridge, the industry and in the city. So welcome to the Engineers Collective, Alexandra. Thank you very much, Claire. I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you. So to start us off, can you tell us how you define a digital twin? Yeah, um, very broadly. So for, for me, a digital twin is a digital representation of an asset or a process or a system. It's distinguished from any other digital model or, or simulation by its dynamic connection to the physical. Um, so you have, uh, if you like, the physical asset linking with a, a cyber asset and then back into the um, to the physical again. And a digital twin unlocks value by supporting improved decision making. So very many things can fit into that digital twin pot and they all do great work, I think. So it's really down to a project to actually define what digital twin means to them and how they want to use it. Providing you've got a physical asset and a link with the, um, the, the data, the cyber asset. And the really important thing is that intervention back from the cyber to the physical. Absolutely. So it can be as big, as small, as complex as, as is needed for each individual project. So most engineers who are familiar with digital twins think about them being project or infrastructure operation focused. How does the finance bit fit in? And does it go broader than that to cover social value and climate responsibility too? That's a great question. As engineers, we tend to think about physical things, um, buildings, the road, power systems and the technical, because that's what we're trained to do. But we live in a world that's socio-technical. It's not just technical. People, society and these intangible systems, they're a huge part about how, how we live and how we affect our environment and how our environment affects how we live. So if we just look at a single physical building, we can optimise the physical outcomes for that building. But without looking at how that building is funded, how people experience actually using the building, 
how the surrounding area is affected by that building, how the future is affected by that building. Unless we look at those aspects of the building at the same time, at this whole complex system, we'll never get to a holistic solution. And then we need to look at the, the buildings and the assets together in a complex system of systems. And unless you think about it as that system of systems, you, you won't get the best results. So in my example is you don't clean your house by just getting all your rubbish, opening the back door and throwing it out, closing it, because your house might be beautiful, but you've really trashed the back garden. So when you're linking these digital twins together, it's not about making a massive monolithic digital twin of everything. It's about connecting digital twins. It's about thinking of this systems of systems as our built environment. It's about using those connected digital twins to make better decisions. And the financing and the financial institutions are part of, of that landscape. They're very much part of how our infrastructure works, runs, and the outcomes from it. Um, the financial community is, is a, can be a huge driver of a better future for people on the planet. So by mandating the use of data to make those better decisions, so for example, incentivizing asset owners to hit their ESG goals and actively measure measuring those outcomes to get great results and to avoid greenwashing. And from the financial community's perspective, a really good digital twin of a physical asset de-risks their investment and those better decision-making that they create produces a much better ROI. So it's a win-win. So what was the trigger for writing the report now? What challenges are the infrastructure industry grappling with that you hope to address through that work? It's been something I've wanted to write for a some time now. Um, and after a couple of conversations with uh, Mark Coates at Bentley Systems and Peter El Hajj at KPMG, I realised that I wasn't alone in thinking about how does the financing infrastructure and ESG goals, how do they work together? And with the Centre for Digital Wilt Britain finishing its mission earlier this year, it seemed like the perfect legacy paper to get the conversation started. So the report itself was written sort of with the finance industry in mind. We know that they've used digital twins for decades. They use different terms for them, but they're broadly digital twins. But we saw that they were yet to leverage the potential of digital twins of infrastructure to support their investment decisions and to promote the better outcomes from the infrastructure in which they're investing. And we believe that the finance community has got a huge opportunity to use their influence, not only to create these lower risk, higher profit investments, but to create um, a greener, fairer, safer future. So there's been a lot of focus on improving outcomes of projects, but there's very little detail on how to do that effectively and also how to measure it. Do you think that this report helps move the industry forward to deliver better understanding of how this can come about and how projects need to think differently at the outset to deliver it too? So I, I think there's been a lot of focus on projects, but not on the outcomes. And you know, again, if we want to tackle the big challenges of our time, we need to create and run a built environment to be outcome focused and for those outcomes to be for the public good. And a paper published in 2021 by 75 industry leaders from about 45 organisations called the Vision for Our Built Environment said that the, the built environment should be run with the express purpose of allowing people and nature to flourish together for generations. So that, that's how we need to think about each of our projects. Previously, the built environment been seen as a series of unconnected projects, but we know it's a complex system of systems, so that doesn't seem the right thing to do. And it's only when we look holistically at the whole system of systems that we have the right information to make the right decision in the right timeframes. Raw data itself is not enough. It needs to be used for self-sense making and then to make those better decisions for it to be really valuable. And then good information management allows us to track the outcomes of the decisions and create feedback loops so that when we do something similar again, we can make even better decisions. It's vital that each project considers data right at the beginning, before you pick up a mouse or a pen, 
Think about what data do you need? Who needs it? What format? When? How do we share it securely and resiliently? How do we keep it open? Really important at all stages of the asset life cycle. And uh, we at CDBB, we've talked about design, build, operate, integrate as being the, the four stages of a, of a project. But we also need to consider the financial aspects um, and the investors in those life cycle stages and recognise that probably they're involved even before we start designing the physical asset. So before you went into the work, what did you expect to find? We didn't really have expectations. We wanted to start a conversation. We wanted to put out a paper that would bring together the infrastructure community and the, the financial investor community to start to talk about how digital twins can support better outcomes for the planet, for company, for people, for the asset owners and the users. And we were hoping actually to do a lot of listening and to use the paper to sort of connect, coordinate and collaborate across the space. It really, we went into the paper with, with our ears on um, just to listen, to make sure that we could find out what people were thinking and, as I say, to start that conversation. So now you've finished the work, what are the key learnings from it that you think the industry should be aware of? Firstly, there's a, there's a huge interest in how the financial communities can link with infrastructure communities, which is great. It's what we'd, we'd hoped would happen, but we didn't know. We would um, say adopt the Gemini principles, which is a series of nine top level principles that, that we believe is are applicable to any digital twin or any information management across finance and infrastructure. We found that digital twins can truly support ESG reporting and that open data unlocks the value. Closed data not really is, is much less valuable. Um, that open sharing of data is where you get the value that there's a need to access and upskill digital capabilities across all the communities, that the finance community really can help drive the adoption of digital twins, that digital twins helps reduce the cost of funding and insurance. And I think our number one thing would be that collaboration is key. It's absolutely vital. None of us, either individually or as our organisations, can do this alone. We need to collaborate to make this work. So just in case people aren't aware, can you just outline what the Gemini principles are? because I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with those. Yeah. So they're very broadly um, a set of ethical principles that we think should apply to any form of um, digital endeavour in the space. So we believe, so this question, why are you doing it? It's got to have a purpose. It's got to be trustworthy. Um, and it's got to have a, a chance to grow. Um, so there are nine principles that we've laid out in a paper uh, if anybody wants to look at it, please look at the CDBB website at the University of Cambridge. It's, it's free and download it. And just very simply, how do we share our data and how do we balance the things? So, for example, on trust, we want to make sure that everything's open, but we also want to make sure that it's secure. There's clearly a tension there. So these are things that people should think about when they're putting together their data strategies and their information management strategies. Thank you for outlining that. So when you were looking at the results, was there anything in there that really surprised you? you weren't expecting? I think the it, how much interest there was in connecting finance and infrastructure. I, in my geeky way, had really hoped that people would think this was an area that they would wanted to look at, but I, I, I didn't dare hope too much. But the conversations we're having across the board, they clearly, clearly recognise that there's a need and a want to do so. So that was maybe not surprising, but something that made, you know, that was, was great to see. So what advice would you give to each of the project stakeholders, the investors, the clients, the consultants, the contractors on the back of this work? Is it the same advice or are there different takeaways that you would offer to each group? 
So a fundamental level is the same for all groups. Adopt the Gemini principles, make sure that the data is open and shared in a secure and resilient fashion and collaborate. Think about data as an asset that becomes more valuable when it's shared and think about data not just from your new assets that you might be building, but from existing assets and think about that data across the whole life cycle, across sectors and across boundaries. Obviously, there are differences at the nitty gritty level for each of those, but those big fundamental top level principles are the same for everybody. So having read the report, it's very much not an endpoint and there's further work to do. What do you hope the industry will be like in 20 years time if the principles presented in the report are put into action? Connected. Um, connected safely, securely, to allow us to, to make decisions, to allow us to do scenario planning on our big complex systems. And, and this happens in some places already now, but we should have our transport system connect with our housing system, with our energy system, with our social care system, with our hospital system, so that we can truly make the decisions that we need to make. We know with the climate emergency that we, we have to do more with less. And the only way we're going to do that is if we look at a system of systems. So I really hope in 20 years time that that approach has been adopted and that we're running our cities, our natural environment, our, our links between cities in that way. That sounds really great, but it, getting there won't be simple. What do you think the main barriers are to getting to that point? You're right, it, it won't be simple. Technical aspects are obviously important, but we can create the most beautiful technical solution, which becomes worthless if it's not used. It just is like a shiny ornament on the shelf gathering dust. This is about socio-technical change. And it, for me, it's the people aspects that, that can be the most difficult. We need to think about new ways of working, new skills, new legal weapons, new ways of sharing data, new commercial models. And as engineers, it's really easy for us to focus on these really exciting, technical, slightly geeky bits that we all love. But we will fail unless we consider the equally exciting human aspects. And I suppose it's also critical that this thinking comes at the very early stages of a project concept. It's not something that happens down the line. Absolutely. It, it's something that, you know, as I said, literally before you pick up your pen and your mouse, you need to be thinking about how are you going to connect? What, what sort of data do you need? Who needs it? How will you look after it? It's really important. And I suppose as engineers, we do tend to rush. We want to actually start building something. We want to have something in the ground to show we're doing something. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we really do. So before we leave you, Alexandra, and travel to Brisbane, maybe you can give us an introduction to what you think that Cross River Rail has done differently to other projects and what the wider industry can learn from it. So they've done what we were just talking about. They thought about their data in the digital right at the beginning. And they thought about it as something that must work across the whole project rather than in, in little siloed areas. They put in place processes and pr procedures to ensure that they get that data right from the very start. It very much for them was not, oh, a nice to have add-on. It's a fundamental part of the project at every level. And, and they, they, from what I've seen, they've understand that by sharing data, they get more value from it, making better decisions to create better outcomes. And the bit that is super exciting for, for me, actually, is with the Olympics coming to Brisbane in 2032, there's a huge opportunity to take the learning from Cross River Rail and, and, and share that across the whole of Brisbane to create this fantastic digital city of the future that, that might be the thing in 20 years' time that we were talking about. It'd be brilliant to have that as a city case study. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Alexandra. Very welcome. Thank you, Claire. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems, with industry-leading software solutions used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation 
of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities, Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash The Engineers Collective. Now let's join Cross River Rail CEO Graham Newton and Digital Delivery Manager Andrew Kerthoys to explore the project in more detail. Graham has over 30 years of experience as a senior executive in the infrastructure sector. He has worked in a range of infrastructure leadership roles, including as Director General for the Department of Infrastructure and Planning, where he was key decision maker for Queensland's leading major projects, investments, planning and project delivery. In his role on the Cross River Rail Delivery Authority project, Graham is leading the delivery of the $5.4 billion project, which is a state government investment that will transform Southeast Queensland's public transport network and will be the catalyst for up to $20 billion of economic development in and around the station precincts. Andrew has delivered complex policy and complex projects in a highly charged political environment of constant change and has become recognised as a thought leader in digital enablement, digital policy development and digital applications. His role in Cross River Rail ensures the integration of the physical elements with the corresponding digital elements and the data that sits behind that. Andrew is also chair of the Australasian BIM Advisory Board. So welcome to the Engineers Collective to you both. Great to be here, Claire. Thank you. So Graham, I guess a good place to start is to set out exactly what Cross River Rail is, where you are in the programme in terms of delivery and what difference it will make to the city of Brisbane when it is completed. Thanks, Claire. Um, yeah, look, Cross River Rail, it's, it's a major investment um, in Brisbane City and it's essentially uh, about a 10.2 kilometre section of rail with um, 5.9 kilometres of tunnel. Now, for those who are familiar with Brisbane, um, we've got quite a large river and we need to um, get under that river with the tunnel. So um, that's the other aspect of it is it actually gets under the tunnel. And the whole intent is to remove the sort of bottleneck in the public transport network, which is in the inner core. So Brisbane City had all its rail and its buses really come from the outer reaches and then into the core. And that hasn't changed for quite some time. So this will be effectively the second crossing of the Brisbane River. Uh, and the first one was only done in 1979. Uh, so what this does is it really changes the way in which the rail network will operate in Brisbane. And what that does is also free up the network and it allows that bottleneck to be uh, unplugged. So we're building four underground stations um, and we're building um, a couple of new surface stations uh, and then enhancing six other stations and making them um, accessibility uh, compliant and also make them you know, more attractive for people to use. Some of these stations haven't been upgraded since uh, 1895, so there's, there's been a long history there. And then uh, the whole purpose of this is to make public transport more attractive so that people uh, are not inclined to use um, their car. They're going to use um, trains and other public transport and do uh, um, multi-seat trips. That, that's what it's really all about. Now, we started construction back in 2019 and we're due to have the rail operations commence in 2025. Now, there's some... Um, Many challenges on a project like this, um, and so we're watching with great interest, but I'm pleased to say that the tunnel boring machines have completed their task and crossed the river, and uh, we've finished excavating the station. So we're now really shifted from the tunnel um, and and the excavation phase to the station build and the tunnel fit out. That sounds truly transformational for the city. 
So I understand that even though the work is not yet complete, it's already unlocking future investment and decisions as well around for key parts of Brisbane. And it was a key part of Brisbane winning the host role for the 2032 Olympics. Is that right? Yeah, well, what, what we're already seeing is um, that uh, around where the new stations are going to be built, um, and some, one of them is near um, one of the stadium, which will be used for the Olympics, is at Wollongabba, but another one is in the middle of the CBD in Brisbane City, and then, then there's the other ones that I've referred to before. What we're already seeing is um, investment in, uh, in development, so residential and other commercial development is already sort of taking the initiative and these stations haven't been finished. But I guess uh, with the reference that you talked about from um, uh, for the Olympics, well, by putting a, a railway station at the uh, at the Gabba um, you know, Stadium, which is you know where they play the Test cricket there as well as Australian football, um, so it's a pretty well known venue. But also um, at other venues, we're starting to see people see that initiative, uh, and that was always the plan. But the Olympic bid for 2032 was happening in the background, and I guess the strategy around building um, transport infrastructure and other supporting infrastructure fits with the IOC's new criteria about having the the Olympics really blend in with the future of the city and being catalytic to the city growth as opposed to a one-off, you know, two-week event. Uh, And I guess that's how it really tied in. So when when our Premier was bidding for it and putting the pitch forward, the Cross River Rail project was front and centre. And I think that really captured the imagination because it really presented a city that was planning around venues and looking to try and tie those venues and get better public transport access to them, but also setting us up for what will be the the biggest show in town, being the Olympics. That sounds amazing. So, Graham, can you explain how you're using digital twin technology to drive those decisions? And what makes the way you're using digital twins different from how civil engineering projects have used them in the past? Yeah, look, um, we we sort of had a, a fairly early thought about digital um, twins and, and how that was going to be applied here. And, and I guess what we wanted to do was have the capability, you know, in in house uh, and on hand to help sort of drive the thinking. Because really, we're not just building a railway; we're contemplating um, precincts around the railway. So it allowed us to use um, the the concept of a digital twin uh, in a way where it would help us conceptualise prepare for procurement, then also um, allow us to tie it in with our GIS mapping and, and give us a much better understanding, cost-effective visualisation and improve the way in which we were sort of planning our precincts around our stations and give a better understanding of um, the interconnected nature between not only the infrastructure we're building but other other associated infrastructure around there. So it sort of put us in a position where we can plan for the life of the project we can cast forward as to what it's going to be like, but then at the end of the day, we've got a, di- a full digital representation that can be used for a whole range of other purposes like um, ongoing operation and maintenance. So at what point did you decide to take this approach and what, what really drove that decision? Yeah, well, look, I guess we were looking at it and thinking, when's the right time to invest in this? And the problem that a lot of projects have is it's almost like an afterthought um, and the challenge with the investment of, of a digital twin or, or getting this um, this type of um, technology happening after you've let the contract is nobody really wants to do it because it's seen as a cost. Um, so what we decided was let, let's let's front end this. Let's have a bit of think around it. We, we sort of looked at the market. We looked at what was happening in other projects. We did speak to a range of other projects, both domestically and overseas. I'd have to say um, the Crossrail team we spoke to really early and they gave us a, a very solid insight to say, look, 
we wish that we'd actually incorporated into our contracts so that they, the contractors were compelled to do it, and they basically factored that into the price. So if you imagine in a multi-billion-dollar project um, doing uh, you know a digital twin, well, they're already doing it as part of the detailed design. So having this as written in, but making sure that they pass us the data that we have it available to us it becomes the property of the state but also they have to provide it to us in a particular form that suits what we need and we were able to apply that really right back at 2019 when we when we prepared the contracts and then all the way through and I'd have to say it's been pretty seamless because they just say well okay if that's what you want we'll deliver what you want and so that made it a lot easier and so we end up with um, five years later a range of um, data that we can use for things that we never even contemplated we could use it for. Um, so that's really where we came up with this concept. We we call it the DNA. Um, I mean, you know, and then we, we, we sort of used the term DNA and then retrofitted a, a, a t- title to it. So we call it the digital network approach uh, to make it all sound very sophisticated. But the reality is we had to give it a label and the, and the practicality of it was to um, make sure that it, it fitted to having a future mindset. Could you give me an example of the kind of data that you're using, the different way you're using that perhaps you hadn't imagined? Well, I, I guess, um, you know, the Olympics is a really good example. I mean, we never thought that we would be using it as part of the Olympics, but what we were able to do is in our um, in our digital twin model, we were able to drop in a notional um, set of venues. Um, so it was used as part of the, the Olympic pitch. Uh, so when it was presented... It was our model, but with a, a theoretical, um, uh, theoretical, you know, main Olympic venue and an indoor arena and so forth was incorporated, and then the ability to sort of fly around. I mean, that that's a, a visualization of a sort of a highly technical thing, but in in a um, in used as a sort of a presentation milestone. I mean, other examples where we've used uh, it for accessibility people, where they they. Uh, allow it for visualization and and set the height at being what it would like be like if you were in a wheelchair and so that you can get a line of sight as to well if you're in a wheelchair what it would do so the camera height can be adjusted uh, we've also looked at things like um, uh, you know some some uh, elements where we're contemplating say where a pedestrian bridge might go to and you're able to go into the model and then work out well what where do the footings um, land and are they going to interfere in um, in the project itself. And then I guess another example is in the land acquisition where we had a developer was proposing that he was going to build uh, a subterranean sort of car park. Um, and we were able to point out the fact that he would have had to have been digging through about 20 metres of rock before he would have encountered our project. But what he was trying to do was um, do a, a claim uh, for compensation. We are able to prove that that was highly unlikely that that would ever, would ever stood up as an argument. So things that we never thought about but um, have, have really served and saved us money over time. So plenty of examples there straight off the top of your head mm. there. So, Andrew, let's come to you now. And can you bring us up to date? What do you think you've done differently on the project so far as a result of using Digital Twins to look more broadly at the scheme? Well, Claire, thank you. And as Graham alluded to, a lot of the work that we've done has been around engagement, right? This is a, a transformational transformational project in Brisbane and the majority of it is underground. So we've had to showcase what we are doing for the stations. As Graham mentioned, the Accessibility Reference Group was able to look at how they could get from the ground surface down to the platforms, which has been key because they weren't able to get into the physical spaces, but they could do it virtually. 
We've also been able to use it for all the key stakeholders involved in the project, whether it's the Accessibility Reference Group right through to our Minister, the Minister for Transport and Main Roads, and of course all the stakeholders in between. What we've been able to do is convey information using building information modelling, visualisation, and really show what we, the, the end product is going to be, which has been absolutely fantastic because people are seeing this in their private lives. They're seeing, you know, augmented reality. They're experiencing visualisation. But to showcase it on something of this scale, going th through the heart of the CBD has been incredible. So that engagement has been absolutely fantastic. It also meant that we've been able to have much richer conversations, as Graham mentioned, with the contractors because they knew from the get-go that this was going to be required. It wasn't something that was tacked on. It wasn't something that was asked for later on. So everybody's got behind it right through from the key contractors into the key stakeholder groups and, of course, the minister and those key stakeholders. But as Graham mentioned, we've also um, learned from the projects that have gone before us, particularly Crossrail in the UK, and the experiences that they shared with us, which has been excellent because we've been able to stand on their shoulders and then other projects have come to us and we've been able to share our learnings as well to encourage them and, and build that ecosystem, if you like, of experience, but also tell them what needs to be in contracts so that we can think about it from an asset operator or an asset maintainer's point of view. So I think that's been really the, the big learning, Claire, that we've really been able to transform the way that the sector is working, but also the various groups that need to access the information and being able to consume that information. It's really interesting to consider how different Crossrail might have been if they had used digital twins from the start, because when this episode comes out, it will have opened yesterday, the day before this episode is released. So I'm looking forward to my first trip on that. So this is a question for both of you. What impact do you think the broader application of digital twins will bring to the outcome of the project, your project, beyond the operation of the infrastructure, how will it empower ESG objectives and how will you gauge the return on investment? Yeah, look, I, I think um, what's exciting is we're capturing data now and we have no idea what it might be used for in the future. I mean, that's the, the crazy thing about it. When you think about it, you know, they are ones and zeros and as long as they're captured in a format, they can be applied in however, uh, you know, someone can imagine them to be. So having it in, in, in your common data environment is, is the key to it. I mean, we, we expect, um, so the, you know, the environment, social and, and governance um, uh, space will start to gain uh, and will continue to gain traction and start to gain even more prominence as far as investment goes and the ability to be able to have um, you know, a visualisation as well as being a twin, so post the construction and allowing you to sort of test or experiment um, different ways in which things are being done, you know, energy consumption or, um, you know, anything to do with, um, uh, you know, environmental uh, impacts, runoffs, water treatments, things like that. There's, there's any number of, of ways in which those things can do. One thing you need at the core is the data. Um, how the precincts around the stations get developed, they'll be able to be tested and retested and their interface with the stations. We've, we've digitised the whole sort of, um, plat you know, platform of where those precincts are. Some of them are, are um, you know, I think there's six to, to 10 hectares of land around some of these stations. So there's quite a large development there. And, and when you start thinking about, well, energy consumption, waste production, um, you know, uh, footprints and things like that, they're the sort of things you can just model and model and remodel, which, um, which is going to be pretty handy. 
and then I guess it it comes down to you know we've got a contract with the with the private sector to operate this uh, underground tunnel and maintain it for so not the trains but the actual tunnel itself for twenty five years. Uh, they probably have no idea how much they're going to rely on this as far as their technical use um, goes. And they'll be very happy that we put this into their contract, I have no doubt, because they'll be looking to eke every dollar they can get because every dollar they save on operations will be a dollar that goes back into their back pocket. So they'll be incentivized by their own commercial motivations. But I think being a government um, uh, project, there's there's plenty of opportunities there where, where the... Um, the future, really, we don't know what it could be used for, and and that's pretty exciting. And and I guess the other is stitching our project because it goes right through the middle of the city to a whole bunch of other projects that are happening around the city, and and bringing them together. So it's not just ours in isolation, but how it fits in with the other projects. And we, we sort of like to describe that, Claire, as you know, delivering creating these digital arteries through the heart of the city, and then linking into those other major projects um, across southeast Queensland. As Graham mentioned earlier, you know, the, the transformational nature of this project will allow for the Olympics to be something bigger and better uh, than we all uh, thought, you know, thought it could be when this project was even conceived back in the mid-2000s. The important part, of course, is looking at those ESG objectives um, and looking at how we can shape uh, Brisbane, not only now, but for generations to come. Some of those challenges are going to be addressed but we're also using it particularly around GIS mapping and moving from 2D maps to 3D maps to showcase to individuals, whether it's families, whether it's students, whether it's community groups, where the project alignment runs, what the environmental constraints might be. Some of the simple things like walking distance to the new stations that we're creating, accessibility issues. How are we going to change the way that um, the community you know, views its trip into Brisbane, which is going to be something completely different for generations to come. And through our the, the 2021, as Graham mentioned, it was our year of tunnelling. And our most, most visited page on our website was our tunnel boring machines, right? And their progress day on, day in, day out, day in, day out. The TBMs, you know, um, use sophisticated telemetry, creating a digital twin almost instantaneously that's resulted in tunnels with 10 millimetre accuracy compared to the original digital alignment. Right, so this, this is transformational and this information that has been generated um, and, and now being consumed was something that when the project was started probably wasn't conceived of or wasn't thought that it could be used this way. So the community's engaged with the project and they now have a much more comprehensive understanding of something that's the majority is underground, right? So you can't see, you can see the ends but you actually can't see the way that it's you know, moving through the city. So we're also delivering better visualisation and, and more cost-efficient and cost-effective solutions and to brief the stakeholders and to engage with the community and to build that sense of excitement that this is what will be delivered when it finally gets opened. Because we know that um, when you look at the better uh, asset data that's being generated, it will improve the asset outcomes for the operators, which will then improve asset outcomes for users. And of course, it will, it is the single biggest piece of Queensland government infrastructure ever created, right? But this will create a legacy opportunity to look at, at how we link into other major uh, infrastructure uh, investments that the Queensland government will do into the future. 
So it's wonderful that um, we're using that and, and the foresight that the delivery authority had to actually embed the digital elements right from the get-go. So we've looked so far at all the positive sides of using digital twins. Have there been any challenges, Andrew, in the way you've used digital twins? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, don't worry. There's been plenty of challenges. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like this utopia is all amazing. But... No. no, we don't We don't want to dress it up that way. Go for it, Andrew. <laughs> no, there's plenty of challenges. Um but what we're trying to do is help those organisations um, understand the implicit and explicit value that we're generating here. Um, and it's, it's getting the asset operators and asset maintainers involved from the start, not handing something to them and saying, okay, now you've got to use it. And that's been um, a real challenge. But also, um, like every project with software, there's always complications, there's always stop-starts. Um, you know, it's, it's like any other major um, transformational project of this nature. But what we know is that while the, the concept of a digital twin has been around for a while, and it means different things to different people, we're now starting to see those asset maintainers looking at it through their lens as it gets closer and closer to handover of specific elements, right? And what this is doing is it's getting them to understand what the opportunities are going to be and where the opportunities are going to be. Um, and that's a cultural change piece that we're working on that we need to continue to, to work with uh, the asset maintainers and asset operators. But I, I know, Claire, that future engineers and future asset operators will be expecting to see the digital twin in operation, right, and all that it can offer. So, you know, the approach that we're taking has ensured that the outcomes will be much better for those engineers and asset maintainers that come through. And actually they'll, you know, it, I hope, acknowledge the, the, the foresight that this project has taken. So, Graham, if you could go back to the beginning of the project, is there anything you would do differently in terms of use of digital twins? Uh, look, the hard thing we had was we didn't, and it's what Andrew alluded to there, we didn't really know where we were going with it. So, um, you know, I, I would dearly love to go back with the foresight that we have now. Um, and I guess the challenge was, you know, we there was no particular market out there for suppliers, so we had to, had to sort of create one, um, and uh, and we we spent a bit of time sort of spinning wheels. But I think the one one thing I'm sort of pleased with is um, is that we just sort of you know dove into the you know the cold swimming pool and started swimming. Um, it was that was the challenge, but uh, the hard thing was to articulate to proponents. Um, you know, particularly the the contractors, but also the government, you know, what are we going to get out of this? So in the end, we just took it as a risk and had to sort of dive in and, and go for it. The other one, um, and Andrew kind of alluded to this as well too, other proponents um, uh, and other, other agencies and so forth, getting their buy-in. So uh, whether it's a rail operator or whether it's, um, it's you know, other government departments, Often they'll see these these things as being something that's being created. It's wonderful for the time of the project, but you're creating an ongoing maintenance headache, as in data maintenance headache. Uh, and so they sort of go, well, you know, I don't know whether I really want to take this on. And so the sort of lesson out of that is, is you've got to take those people with you, build the conversations. We, we've set up a digital reference group within government. I actually chair it at the moment, but I'd see a day in which that would transition across to more of a central government person. The only reason I'm chairing it is because there isn't someone else um, who feels comfortable that they can chair it. So again, we've sort of taken the risk on it. So I guess um, you know, the lesson learned out of it is go in with your eyes wide open and be prepared to um, make an investment in both time and money. And then 
uh, take the risk on on things like I said about putting it into contracts um, and then holding your contractors to account. That's probably been the biggest thing is don't don't let them um, you know skive out of it. You've got to make sure that they actually get in and deliver um, and and hold them to account. If it's not up to scratch, um, you know, follow it through and say, look, this is in the contract. You've got to deliver it. So, Andrew, is there any advice you would give to other projects looking to follow your approach? Or are you already working with other projects too to share the lessons learned? We're certainly working with other projects, but I'd reiterate sort of three key elements, Claire. Courageous leadership, embracing change and the opportunities and possibilities, but also engage broadly across the project from the asset creator through to the asset operator and the asset maintainer. I think one of the things that we've got to do is recognise that digital twins are now here and they will continue to play a role in asset development. In a capital-constrained environment that First World Nations find themselves in, you know, following the pandemic, we need to be smarter with the um, capital that we are allocated. Right? The taxpayers deserve to get really good outcomes. But without courageous leadership, without embracing change, without getting the asset operators and maintainers involved from the get-go, you really struggle. And, and that's what has been a hallmark of this project. So, Graham, last question to you. How could infrastructure look different in the future if more projects took this approach, do you think? Uh, look, I, I think, uh, as I alluded to before, we really actually don't know um, what what you know it could look like. And I think the sky really is the limit in gathering the information. I mean, we're already starting to hear things like, um, you know, institutional investors are looking for, well, how are particular infrastructure projects responding, whether it's the... Um, you know, environmental sustainability sort of requirements or governance requirements, being able to trace back, um, you know, source materials, you know, the uh, the um, anti-slave labour legislation that's sort of come through. You know, it's it's that notion of providence is going to be of particular interest. Um, the ability to forecast forward and use use the technology to present things like the um, the Olympics. Um, but I'm sure there'll be the ability um, or the request or requirement, say something like the the Olympics by the time we get to 32, where they'll want to know, well, hang on a minute, what's what's been the inputs into all of these things or how are you maintaining the the standard that you said you're going to maintain or how do we know safety is, is, um, is paramount? I, I think those are the sorts of things that are going to be applied here where, where we give a lot more confidence on on how projects are being delivered, but also knowing the origin. It's not sort of buried somewhere, uh, you know, 30 metres below ground and nobody will, will ever scratch the surface. The digital twin means that it is forever captured and it's forever represented and it's forever traceable, which is which I think is a really good thing. Uh, also holds contractors to account. Um, the other aspect is I think what we're going to start seeing is, is a greater alignment between the conversation um, starters. So there's the government people, but there's also the con- the contractors, there's also the investors. The, the conversation will start to use the digital twin as the basis for um, how we will operate and whether we're doing public-private partnerships or uh, other type arrangements. It, it'll put the, the sort of future operation of the asset, not in speculation, but in, in the forefront. And you can go to pretty much anywhere in the project both looking at the metadata or, or also just the physical asset from a uh, from an engagement perspective and trace it through. We've been fortunate that we sort of took the, the step up front. What it's doing is also setting the benchmark for other Queensland um, projects that are happening and we're seeing other agencies, particularly the infrastructure agencies, follow suit 
And then as Andrew alluded to, we've had that written into contracts that people are um, are applying and, and they're, they're starting to follow, follow the way in which we've sort of suggested. But once you sort of get this critical mass and if everybody's doing it, then it becomes the norm. Um, once you've got that that full set of rich data, then you've got the ability to start aggregating it and saying, well, how do we test efficiencies? How do we how do we test um, the way in which projects are being delivered, and how do we get better uh, bang for our, our public dollar? Um, and I think, look, with mega projects, given the the cost of the digital twin is is really uh, insignificant by comparison to the benefits that come and the actual investment, it will just become the norm. I think. Does sound like at some point we'll turn back and go, why didn't we always do it this way? But <laughs> I think so. It might be a few years before we get to that point. So thank you both for joining us today. I think that's just about what we've got time for. I'm certainly looking forward to reporting on Cross River Rail's progress and sharing the details of the outcome that the work delivers too. So join us again soon for another episode of The Engineers Collective. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems with industry-leading software solutions used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities. Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash the Engineers Collective.